Thank you so much for leading us this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to share with you this morning the impactful and life-changing truth that we are a room full of nobodies. <laughs> we are a room full of nobodies. And that's exactly the place we should want to be. There is a quote by Nicholas Ludwig, Count of Zinzendorf. I know you've read a lot of his stuff. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I don't know if that stirs up a lot in you, but it should. Because one of the greatest truths that God must bring to us is that we are not the heroes. In the Bible, the people are not the heroes. And it's okay. Jim Elliott, a missionary who gave his life at the age of 29, taking the gospel to a group of unreached people, he wrote and said, we are a bunch of nobodies trying to tell others about somebody. See, we don't like to talk about that because in the end, we like to convince ourselves often that we're pretty awesome stuff. That we're pretty cool people and we deserve some pretty cool pats on the back. And sometimes we do, but not because of who we are, but because of the God we serve. So the first thing I believe, one of the first things in salvation God teaches us is we are weak. Because if we never realize we're weak, we'll never search for the one who's strong. If we don't realize we're sick and frail, we'll never look for the one who heals and restores. And I believe in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wants to get every single one of us in this room comfortable with the fact that we are nobodies, but he is somebody. That God is the one who gets glory from our lives because it's his greatness that shines through. So I don't say this and I don't preach these verses to make you hate yourself or to beat you up supremely. But simply to get us all on the same playing ground that none of us in this room is innately better than the other or innately more valuable than the other. But every single person here has been created in the image of God and as such you have supreme worth to your God. But don't get it mistaken. The Bible is not about us. Our lives should not be about us. We were created to make the name of our God great. We were created to reflect that God alone deserves supreme glory. And I believe the Bible teaches us there is no better place to see that in the life of a Christian than in the midst of affliction and trial. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe God is showing us our weakness and the power of God in us. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me as we read God's word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7 and going to verse 12 this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, uh, and here's what we see from Paul to the church at Corinth this morning. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Heavenly Father, gracious King, we ask you to help us to understand these verses this morning. We ask you to teach us. God, we ask you to feed our souls with the goodness of your truth. And Father, we ask you to use these verses to turn our gaze away from ourselves and to fix our eyes on Christ, who is alone our treasure, that we might boast supremely in him and the rescue he has brought to lost souls. Father, we are witnesses today that your power is all-surpassing, that you are able to rescue the weakest of sinners, and you are able to glorify yourself in the lives of your people. So Father... Do that today, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I've already given you point number one. Aren't you glad? The first thing we're looking at in verse 7 is that we are confronted immediately in this verse with our weakness. That we as human beings need God desperately. He says in verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. It's interesting that Paul uses this metaphor in this way. And he begins by reminding us of the treasure that God has given us. He says, but we have this treasure, which means what he's saying in this verse relates to what he just got done saying in the verses previous. And what did we see last week that God was showing us? Well, God was showing us that being a minister for God, being a Christian meant to, to take the good news of Jesus to other people is really, really difficult. And it's hard because we run up against opposition as we do so. That when you're trying to live as a Christian and you're trying to tell people about Jesus, it's hard to do it because so many have rejected Christ. Or so many who have rejected Christ are having their eyes blinded by Satan who doesn't want them to understand the truth. But, he tells us, don't lose heart as you minister and as you live for Jesus because while you run up against opposition and there are many who reject Jesus and are blinded to the truth, that as you live and go out into the community telling people about Christ, there will be some who God will open their eyes and cause them to see their need for Jesus and they'll repent and trust in him. Many will reject, some will accept, some will trust in him. And so don't lose heart. It's hard to be a Christian, a minister of the gospel, but it is worth every second of it because God is rescuing souls every single day. Now he says, 
in light of the fact that God is using us as ministers of Jesus to go and tell them about him and be a light in a dark world so that people might trust in him, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the treasure? Well, the treasure is the good news that Christ came. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place. He rose again from the dead, and he's coming again. That's the treasure. That's the light of the knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. That's the treasure that God has instilled in us as a Christians and as a church. This has been going on for over 2,000 years where the gospel is being proclaimed. That treasure has been given by God. It's been given to us as his people. But notice the metaphor that Paul uses to describe us as the carriers of the treasure. We have this treasure in jars of clay. What is God revealing to us? What does God want us to understand from this verse about ourselves? We are weak. We are fragile. Just so you know, in the first century, jars of clay were everywhere. They put everything in them. But jars of clay were also very fragile. They were frail. They were easily broken. Not only that, jars of clay were relatively cheap and easy to cast away, easy to replace and get another one. It's interesting that Paul refers to us as Christians as jars of clay, fragile, weak, easily replaceable. What do you think God is reminding us of? Oh wait, we're not the heroes of this text. We're not the heroes of the Bible. So often we come to the Bible and we read it as if we are the center of it. Folks, we're not the center of the Bible. God is. It's not our name that's being made great in the scriptures. It's God's name. It's his character that's being revealed. And that's okay. It is a comforting thing to me to know that I'm not the center of it all. It doesn't all based on my abilities or my skills. What a fitting metaphor for humanity and for Christians. What a fitting metaphor than we are weak little containers that God has put a valuable treasure in. If you have something valuable, where do you normally put it? You say, you lock that stuff up and you make sure you lock it in something that you can't just pick up with one hand and carry out the door. You put it in something that you would break your back if you tried to pick it up. So solid you can't drill into it. You can't shoot into it. We put our valuables into things that can't be broken into. How interesting that God puts his treasure in fragile, weak, little jars. And that's us. Congratulations this morning. You are all cracked pots. Not, not crack pots. You are cracked pots. Why? Why would God want to remind us so quickly of our weaknesses and how frail we are? What say that again? Oh, to keep us humble. Listen. If I really want to protect something, I'm not going to do it in this way. I'm going to make sure I put it in something rock solid. I'm going to make sure I put it in something that nobody can get into. Right? We value the, we, we, should, we express the value of the treasure, right? In what we lock it up in. We always, I mean, you know that. When you go to somebody's house, 
You want to eat off their nice plates. You don't want to go in somebody's house and eat off of, uh, you know, those, those portable uh, Chinese takeout containers. You wouldn't bring those out and go, hey, we got a great meal for you. We've washed these out and we've, we've sanitized them and we're going to eat out of them again. You know that when you eat out of a Chinese container, what are you going to do with it after you're done? Normally, you throw them away. If I came to your house and you had a whole set that you had washed out and put up in your cabinets, I'd be like, I think you're using these wrong. You bring out the good stuff. In this metaphor, Paul is trying to show us by inspiration from the Holy Spirit that that's who we are. We are the fragile, weak, ain't nothing special about us. The treasure is what matters. And if God has taken this valuable treasure and put it in jars of clay, then he must be doing it for a reason, correct? Like you said, to be humble. Notice what he says at the Next part of that verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay too, which means he's telling you the reason behind it, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we are confronted with our weakness, but number two, our weakness is meant to point to the power of God. The reason God puts this treasure of the good news of Jesus is to show his power in us as we are the weak vessel that God protects his treasure in. So our weakness is meant to point to God's power. And notice it says to show the surpassing power, the supreme power, the extraordinary power. It is vital in ministry to know God's supreme power is behind everything we're doing. To know our own weakness and to know that God is the one who is ultimately all-powerful. And when God puts his treasure of the good news of Christ into clay jars, what he's doing is showing that it's not by our power that it moves forward, it's by his. So it's okay to admit I'm not the best in the world. It's okay to admit I'm not the center of attention. It's okay to admit I'm not the hero as a Christian because in the end, it's God's power that's being displayed, not mine. And so God intends to display his power through weak vessels and jars of clay. That's why when we read different biblical texts and different biblical stories, we have to read them understanding these truths, that we are weak and God's power is displayed in weak people. So when you read the story of David and Goliath, we don't walk away from the story going, now go be like David. You know why? David is not the point. David was a picture of how Jesus would conquer Goliath. And what was Goliath? Sin. The big monster who could not be beaten by anyone else steps out and taunts and says, who is this God you speak of? Who would dare challenge me? That's what sin looks like. Sin is Goliath, and David was a picture of Jesus coming. And when Jesus came, he would slay the ultimate foe that was too big for anyone else. And when Jesus showed up, he, there wasn't much about him that would make you go, oh yeah, here's the one who's going to face sin and kill it. Just like David didn't look like the kind of person who would step up and slay Goliath. So when we read the story of David and Goliath, we're not saying go be like David. We're saying look at Jesus. Jesus defeated Goliath for you. See what I'm talking about? We recognize that David is a picture of human weakness. He's frail. He's small. 
He's insignificant. And yet, he's used of God to display God's power over sin and death. You see what I'm saying? It changes how you read Bible stories. All of a sudden, you're realizing that it's a, when you read about Moses, it's not about Moses, it's about Jesus. When you read about David, it's not about David, it's about Jesus. When you, look at, when you read about Abraham, it's not about Abraham, it's about Jesus. When you look at Job, it's not about Job, it's about Jesus. Everything is meant to point us to human weakness displays the power of God as God works mightily in them to show that he is the hero of the text. Jesus is the one who is victorious, and we as his people should get very, very comfortable going, you know what, I'm a nobody, but I'm a nobody for Jesus. And it's not my greatness that's going to be talked about. It's going to be the power of God who rescues and uses jars of clay to change the world and to see lives transformed. But it doesn't end there. Because while we see our weakness, and we also note that our weakness is meant to point to God's power, we also see that our afflictions are the way God does that. That afflictions are purposeful and real. Notice what he says. In verse 8 and 9, he goes through a list of different types of afflictions people will walk through. And notice they're all in present tense, which means these are ongoing, continuous problems for Christians. That verse 8, as Christians we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. These are things that he says are part of the Christian life. If you're going to be a minister for Jesus as a Christian, then these are the the aspects of life you need to understand are going to be part of your life. We see these tandems, afflictions and yet victory in the midst of them. He says we're afflicted. That means to be pressed. It means to be squeezed like a grape. Spurgeon said that this picture of this word is almost like if you can imagine wrestling somebody. And getting somebody in a hold that they could not move out of. You're pinning somebody. And that feeling of there is no way out of this. That's how Christians feel when they live daily life. That parts of life, circumstances of life, there's going to be times when you feel like you have been pinned to the ground. And there is no wiggling out of it. But notice what God says. He tells us that as Christians we will be afflicted, but what? Not crushed. That word crush means way of escape. The idea that you could be pressed, but you'll never be pressed to the point as a Christian where there's not a way of escape out. You understand? Does that mean you're not going to face the pressing? No. Does that mean you're not going to be in moments where you feel like you're pinned to the ground? No, you're going to have those. But what God promises is there is always a way of escape that he provides for his people. Now, it may not be in this life. We may lose this life, but there is no one who can separate us from the love of Christ for us. So you're, as a a Christian, you are going to be pressed. You're going to be squeezed. He says you're going to be perplexed, which means to be at a loss for which way to go. Ever felt that way? Ever had life circumstances and you're like, I have no earthly clue where I'm supposed to go next. What I'm supposed to be doing. Well, welcome to Christian life where we're trying to live life for Jesus, and because of the circumstances and the things we face as Christians, we are going to have moments and times and seasons where we are perplexed. We are at a loss. I just don't know where to go and what to do next. But even in that state, guess what he tells us? But you are not driven to despair. Even
even though you may be at a loss of what to do next and where it's going, you don't lose hope in the midst of it. That's what Christians face. He says you are persecuted, which means to be chased or pursued like, a, like a, an enemy. You may be persecuted, but guess what you're not? You're not forsaken. You're not abandoned by God. So as a Christian, you're going to feel like you're getting harassed and chased by an enemy. But God says it'll never be to the point where you are abandoned or left on your own. As Christians, we are going to be struck down. That means to be overtaken. It means to be under the weight of heavy burden. But even though you're struck down, you will not be destroyed. You will not perish. See, God wants to show us that it's actually in our afflictions that we see the purpose and the meaning behind them. That God brings affliction into the life of his people, not because he's just being mean or cruel, but because he means to show his power in you. And the way he shows his power in you as a believer is walking you through afflictions you can't handle on your own. The ones where you need him. So what does that look like in real life? What, are, what does it mean to be afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down? Well, sometimes in, in life as Christians, we, we buckle under the weight of responsibilities that we have in life, of pressures that are on us, of expectations that people have about us. Some of us feel like we're stuck in careers and jobs that have us pinned to the mat. Some of us are struggling through family issues that feel like there is no way of escape, there is no hope. Many of us are found at times we're not sure which way to turn or what God's leading us to next. In the midst of that life, just realize that that is a reality for a Christian. It doesn't mean you're outside his will necessarily. That's exactly what we would expect as Christians to find. But don't forget that while you're in affliction, God is doing something in it. He's showing you that you're weak. I'm weak. But he is strong and victorious. So as his people, so are we. That job may squeeze the life out of you, but it'll never separate you from the love of Christ. Your family may drive you up a wall, but they will never separate you from the love of Jesus. The weight of pressure and responsibilities and expectations, they may feel crushing, but they will never defeat you or separate you from the love of Christ. We are always, he says, carrying in the body the death of Jesus of Jesus. Paul writes something similar to this all the time, that as Christians, we are like dead people walking, that we're dead but yet alive. He uses this in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, where Paul says that he dies daily, that everything he does is meant to put to death that which is not like Christ and to walk after him. In Philippians chapter 3, we see the same thing. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Paul wrote that all the things he was walking through, he says, is so that I may know him, meaning Jesus, and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul believed that all of his suffering was identifying him with Jesus, and he was sharing in the sufferings of Christ. And if he shared in the death of Jesus and the sufferings of Jesus, what would he also share in? 
the life and resurrection of Christ. So suffering wasn't removing him from the love of Jesus. It didn't mean he was on the wrong path for Jesus. His suffering was actually meant to point him to his need for Christ, to reflect him to a lost world, and to share in his life. You had to share in his death. Here he tells us we as Christians are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. The same afflictions that Jesus walked through, the same hate he experienced, not to the same degree, but the same type we also will experience as his people. Don't be surprised people don't love you when you talk about Jesus. Don't be surprised that they don't like you when those things come up. Know that when we share in the sufferings of Jesus, we also share in the life of Jesus. He says, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that for this result, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So let me help you. Our afflictions are purposeful. They are real. And the fourth point I want to make is that afflictions in ministry as Christians display the life Jesus gives. It's in affliction that we display the life Jesus gives. He says we're always carrying around the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Remember, he's been saying this all along, and he's been trying to point us to the sufficiency of God in the midst of all of our circumstances. And in Romans chapter 8, a beautiful chapter, if you want to talk about how afflictions play a role in the life of a Christian, in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If you're going to be glorified with Christ, if you're going to be made perfect in the end, it's going to come through suffering for Christ. It's going to come from the afflictions, from the pressing, from the feeling like there's no other way to go and no way out. It's in that that we share in Jesus' sufferings and will lead to us sharing in his life. In the exact same chapter, he went on in 35, verses 35 through 39. He said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He says, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Boy, this is, boy, you just want to put this on a t-shirt, don't you? And wear this around. Hey, we're sheep being led to the slaughter. Isn't this great to be a Christian? Woohoo! He says this is who we are, constantly living lives of death, being led like sheep to a slaughter. He says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may be squeezed. You may be pressed. You may be persecuted. You may be perplexed. You may be struck down. You may be carrying around in your body all day long the death of Jesus. But guess what? None of that stuff will ever separate you from the love Christ has for you. And it will never rob you of the life he has for you eternally. I just spit all over my notes. Hold on. Verse 11 Verse 11 is just a more emphatic explanation of verse 10. It's very similar. It's basically a parallel. It's the same wording in different fashion. 
He says in verse 11, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So folks, in the circumstances that are seen in verses 8 and 9, what Paul is telling us is that we are displaying the life of Jesus when we walk through them. Because only the life Jesus can give can explain why people would continue to walk through those things. So we're always being given over to death. We're always suffering for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus would be manifested in us. People would see that if they can keep on going, that's not their own power, that's the life Jesus gives. Not only that, but in verse 12, he tells us, so death is at work in us, but life in you. What does he mean by that? Well, remember, our afflictions as Christians are meant to display the life that Jesus gives. That even though we suffer, we don't perish. Even though we're struck down, we're not destroyed. Even though we walk through terrible affliction and adversity, we still have life in Christ that cannot be taken from us. So he says that death is at work in us, but life in you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the Corinthians. He says, death is at work in us, but life in you. What does he mean? Paul's not telling them something that he hasn't already done himself and will continue to do. Paul had walked through so much affliction. He had been through so much pain, so much suffering for being a follower of Jesus. Paul had been locked in prisons, beaten to near death, left shipwrecked, hated and chased, his life threatened. He says, it's death at work in us, but life in you. What is he saying? He was willing to suffer all that. He was willing to die to himself and to suffer the worst affliction so that the Corinthians might know Jesus and have life. Folks, we've got to have the same love for our neighbors. We've got to have the same love for our coworkers and our family that we would be put to death and live every day under suffering and affliction to show them that this is the life Jesus gives. That we might suffer through affliction so that they might come to know Jesus. Remember, we're lights in a dark world. Well, how do you see the light? Through the midst of affliction and pain. Seeing the powerful hand of God at work. So let's close it up. I believe... Every text of the Bible is meant to do two things. Number one, it's meant to cut us. God is like a surgeon with his word. He cuts out those things that don't look like him, and he uses his word to do that. So we have to ask ourselves when we read certain verses, how does it cut us? What is God trying to remove out of us? Well, what do you think from these verses God is trying to remove? Sin is obviously, yes. What kind of sin? What does that sin look like? What kind of sin would God be cutting out through verses 7 through 12? Pride. When God exposes our weakness, that hurts. We don't like to be told we're not significant. Our culture tells us that's the only way you're going to find happiness is by realizing the love that you have for yourself. And it hurts to be told it ain't about you. You're weak. You are a jar of clay. So God is rooting out pride. Anything else? What else would God be cutting out by revealing your weakness? 
Say, say that again. Self-dependence, self-reliance, selfishness in general, ignorance. So God is cutting out all these things by telling us that we are jars of clay. He's trying to root out any, any pocket of pride or self-righteousness or self-centeredness. Anything that would cause us to say, you know what, I'm just going to flee from this. I think he's also rooting out any dependence on our own abilities or skills to realize that even the best of us is still just a jar of clay and that even the worst of us is still just a jar of clay. That it's not about our skills and abilities, it's about him. So it eliminates and cuts out boasting in ourselves. It keeps us from reading ourselves as the heroes of the Bible. So God cuts out pride and arrogance and self-centeredness and selfishness and self-reliance and dependence. That's number one. How does God cut? Number two is God always cuts to heal. Like a surgeon, he cuts to remove the disease so that he can heal us and restore us. How do these verses heal us? How do they bring hope to you as a Christian? How do they bring joy to you in the midst of affliction? Affliction's real, right? It's going to happen. How do these verses heal? Y'all just want to walk away cut? That's it? Y'all want some healing, don't you? You want to see how God is restoring? When he cuts out selfishness and pride, when he cuts out arrogance and self-reliance, how does he heal? Freedom. Isn't it freeing to know that it's not about me and my abilities? That it doesn't all rest on my shoulders? That it's God who's doing something? That should be very freeing to you. To know that God has got it all. He's got it. How about this? God is telling us that even though we're jars of clay, you're still valuable. Your value is not in what you can do for somebody. Your value is in who you are. You are created in the image of God. He cuts out the pride and the boasting so that you are left with your value is in Christ supremely. That's who values you. That's where your identity is found. Not in the things you do, but to the one you belong to. Also, the way it heals me, the way it provides joy and hope to me is it tells me, his word shows me that my afflictions are not purposeless. My afflictions aren't pointless. That what the, the things we've had to watch Christians walk through is not without reason and, and purpose. Doesn't mean we understand it all the time, but it's no less true that God is showing us that in the midst of our afflictions as Christians, God is showing his power and our weakness. So what do I want you to do? How do we respond to this? How do we live this out? Knowing that God is cutting out pride and arrogance and, and restoring joy and knowing that our value is in him and that our afflictions are purposeful. He's doing something. He's accomplishing something. How do we live this out? How do we show the supreme power of God in our lives as Christians? How do you live this out tomorrow when you get up and you live your day? Loving others, right? Showing that it's not about us. And what better way to show people that we're not about ourselves than loving on them? Caring for them, right? Showing them that we're concerned about their welfare over, even over our own. Sounds an awful lot like Philippians chapter 2, right? 
have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he lowered himself. Humbled himself, right? That's what we're supposed to display. So one of the ways we can live this out in our world is as we're walking through afflictions, we're not concerned simply about ourselves. Can I tell you from yesterday, that's what Miss Betty Dunn left for me. Was in the midst of her suffering, it wasn't about her. She cared about others. She was concerned about other people. It's a picture of what this looks like lived out. Miss Betty was living this out what it meant to walk through affliction showing the power of God. You see what I'm getting at? Thinking of other people, that's a good one. Loving others, that's perfect. How about this also? The right way we live this out is by rightly viewing our afflictions. When you live tomorrow, if the Lord allows us to, and terrible affliction comes your way, don't just run from it. Don't just try to think, how do I get out of this as soon as possible? See it for what God is using it for. Now, there's a difference between affliction that comes because we sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the affliction that comes from being identified with Jesus. So when the affliction comes, don't just make our natural impulse to run from it, but to rightly view it as, oh, here is another opportunity for God to show his power at us. See what I'm getting at? To rightly view affliction is a great way to live this out every single day. To know that God is using it in some way to show his power. Also, how about we spend every day dying to ourselves again? Waking up and reminding ourselves that it's not about us, it's about what God is doing in this world to bring the good news of Christ to them. That we die to what we want and we live in Christ and what he wants. That we would die to our own selfish desires and live for his glory. And also, how do you live this out every single day? Well, you realize that God can use any and all of his children. God's not sitting around just trying to wait for some super Christians to pop up so we can use them. Every single Christian is valuable to God and is used of God. Every single one of you. So it's not about just do my abilities stack up to so-and-so's or do my skills stack up to so-and-so's. We live every single day. We live this out in the midst of our afflictions by realizing that it's God who works through us. And he can use all of us and does for his glory. He can use all of us and does to share the light of the good news of Christ with this dark world. So every day you have purpose. In the midst of afflictions, you have purpose. In the midst of your daily life, you have purpose. You are valuable, and God is using you to take this treasure of the good news of Christ to people who are dead and lost in sin. And through what God does in you, he will display his power. That if he can use jars like us to rescue people, then he can rescue anyone. That he's that powerful and that good. Christians, we have a lot to live for. And no affliction can take that away. Now remember, Paul says several times in this letter, do not lose heart, do not lose heart, do not lose heart. Because he knows that we're going to be prone to want to give up, to want to tap out, to want to give up and quit. Realize what God is doing in all of your afflictions. Realizing the power he's displaying in your weakness and glorify him. Celebrate him. Know that that is every reason we need to praise him forevermore. This morning, 
See how weak you are. See how desperately you need Christ. See what he does in the hearts and lives of his people. This morning, we need to fix our eyes on Christ, whether it be through salvation to trust in him, to turn away from our sin and find forgiveness in what he's done for us, or whether it be as Christians, us reminding ourselves that it's not us that do great things, it's God working through us, that it's his power on display. And so maybe we haven't been living this intentionally as Christians. Maybe we've been overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. Maybe there have been afflictions that seem too powerful and too great for us to carry. Now would be a great time to go to your God and to lay them before him and to say, I can't carry this and I need you desperately. Maybe this morning you just need to ask God to help you to be the light that he's called you to be, to be that jar of clay carrying the treasure. Maybe today you just need to ask God to help you to live through the afflictions he's placed in your life for the glory of Christ. Whatever it is, whether you need to trust in him or whether you need to call upon him for help to walk after this, this mandate, whatever it is, I want you to respond to God this morning. We're going to sing our time, uh, song of response. Whether it's in your seat or up front, I'm going to ask you to respond this morning. The good news is we are weak, but he is supremely strong. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for all that you do for us. Father, I thank you for reminding us in your word that we are nobodies. And God, that's okay. It's okay to not have a great name for ourselves. God, it's okay to realize that our value isn't in our name or what we do or what we bring to the table, but God, our value is in you. And so Father, this morning I pray that if there's anybody in this room that is trusting in their own goodness or their own abilities or their own skills to find their value, God, that you would show them that none of that none of that suffices that only Christ alone can rescue us from the depths of our sin and so father would you save people this morning would you draw them away from religiosity and man-made rituals and traditions and God would you show them their desperate need for rescue from Christ Lord I pray that you would draw people to yourself show them that it's by your perfect life death and resurrection that we're healed Father, we would see that in Christ we have all that we need. So, Father, draw people to yourself. Cause them to forsake sin and to love you. And, Father, for us as Christians in the room, help us to rightly value, uh, view our afflictions. Help us to see them for what they are. God, they're not your hateful hand towards us. They are the means by which you are going to display your power in us. So, Father, whatever you want to bring to us, God, would you bring it by your glorious hand? And God, would you pour out your grace as we walk through them? Not fleeing from the danger, not fleeing from the hurt and pain, but God, clinging to you in the midst of it. So Father, as Christians, we ask you to help us to rightly see our afflictions as an opportunity for your glory and your power to be displayed. And Lord, that you might use us in our community, a community that is lost and without hope, a community that has no eternal, everlasting satisfaction. Father, I pray that you would use us as lights in this world to point them to the beauty of Christ, that the way we suffer would show them the life that Jesus gives. And Father, may you help us every day to die to ourselves and to live for you. Lord, we ask you to do all this so that you would receive glory and honor, that more people would worship you and praise you. So, Father, use us as instruments in your hands. We ask you to do this for your name's sake. Not to us, O oh Lord, 
but to your name be the glory. We pray it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.